went with the family over the weekend, a uh, long weekend, to a house up in the Virginia mountains near the Shenandoah National Park, hiked up and to precisely one mile of the Appalachian Trail. And this time of year, just gorgeous, just wonderful. Uh, so that was a lot of fun, and uh, this week's guest is from that area of the country, which is west of, if you're on I-81, the New Market, just before you get to Winchester. She's from the Winchester, Virginia area, and grew up on a farm, and loved animals, and you'll hear, it's just, it's just really a wonderful story. There's something about getting up there, particularly this time of year. I get to use my nickel college word, halcyon. It's golden. The leaves are golden. The light is golden. It was just beautiful. Hiking with the kids up there who kicked my ass. Woof. Can't keep up with them. Uh, so you'll enjoy this week's guest. She said go by her stage name, Julie J. I don't think I realized until I went through the things that I did that I wasn't a good friend at times to people. This is In Her Words, a podcast from manlisting.com, featuring one man listening to the stories of real women in their own words. In Her Words, a conversation worth hearing because every woman deserves to be heard. Hey there, and welcome to In Her Words, the podcast. I'm Stuart Watson. A few weeks ago, probably more than a month ago, I talked to Julia of the comedy duo of the family jewels and now i'm talking to julie and so julia and julie together are the family jewels and they have a podcast now on the queen city podcast network because they got together with brian boltshevitz my personal hero and uh put it put it out there and you know a couple of moms who are very very different and very very different backstories and this one, a very interesting backstory, which is, you know, if you put them side by side, a real study in contrast. But I admire them both, and I admire their creative effort, their chutzpah, if you will. They're, they're, they're you know, putting it out there, you know, putting it out there. Uh, Julie J. Where were you born? I was born in Winchester, Virginia. Hospital or home? Hospital. For your mother, you're number what of how many? I am number two of two. Did your mother tell you anything about her pregnancy, labor, and delivery with you? Yes. Unfortunately, my mom talks about her labor way too much. <laughs> and I know way more than I would like to know about my mom's labor with both of us. She said that both kids were, um, well, she always refers to me as being big enough to sit up and read when I came out. I was like almost 10 pounds and my brother was about eight pounds, but she talked about how everyone remarked on what a giant baby I was and that I just like, like this is the part that, that makes me cringe. She's like, you just came right out. Like I didn't just push one time and here you just came right out. I was like, can you stop saying came right out? It's just gross. <laughs> like, like, whoosh. Whoosh. <laughs> but it was very funny. I was actually happy to know those details. 
see my dog. <laughs> um, because when I was pregnant with my first, the OBGYN asked several times, what do you know about your mom's deliveries? Because they say that yours will be very similar. And we had the exact same, both kids, 18 months apart, exact same pregnancies. Neither one of us could get, my mom couldn't get pregnant for a really long time. I couldn't get pregnant and then immediately had two back to back. What made you want to be a mom? Um, I don't know that I, I mean, I hope my kids, if they ever hear this, they'll understand, but I don't know that I ever had that like deep desire to have children. I was just like, I'm open to having children, but I had, I felt like, I mean, I grew up on a farm in West Virginia. I feel like I was mothering things for a long time, animals, all animals. <laughs> and so I feel like it wouldn't have been like a huge difference from that. Like I'd already been doing that kind of thing. Like you need to get up and feed the cows before you brush your teeth, before you attend to yourself, you need to go warm up the milk, do the bottles, carry them, you know, 200 yards to the barn because they're out there bawling if you don't get there. So I've been doing that kind of stuff for a long time. So I guess I just didn't really think it would be that much different. Was there a type of animal that was your favorite? Um, I mean, I rode horses. So I guess the horses were my favorite, but I like the, eh, it's like the horses were always fun, but then there's just sort of like, you always have your rotating favorites. Cause I had some cows that were my favorites for a while, but then they got butchered and we ate them. So I learned to stop liking the cows so much. Um, was that traumatic? Yes, it was traumatic. I was like, where is this one cow dad? Like, where is this one that I've been like petting? And he's like, well, he had to go. I was like, go where? Like when you first figure out, oh, the, the cow is gone and the freezer is full. Like you, you make the connection. <laughs> um, after that, you just, and my, you know, my dad was just matter of fact about it. Like, look, we gotta eat. I'm sorry that one was more friendly, you know? Yeah. So we had cows, we had, I, you know, I always had, horses sound so fancy, but these were not like, we had just we had a farm with a couple of nice horses that we would ride. Do and by you, nice, I don't mean expensive. <laughs> do you miss riding? I do. I do miss it. Would you like to do it again? I would. I mean, I can always ride when I'm home, and I go. I try to go home at least once a month. But it's just different. Like if I were to ride here, I'd have to like lease a horse, and I wouldn't be there on the property with it. And there's just something about like growing up in the country and walking outside and taking care of your horse. It's like right there. So it would just be such a different experience, but I'm thinking about finding a place here I can ride. Why don't you live there? Why don't you just move home? Um, I don't, I mean, I say it like this, but I'm not sure if it's the right word, but I say like legally I can't anymore. My kids, um, and I got surprised, divorced. I did not know that my husband and I were gonna split. And at the time we were looking at property up there because I wanted to, I just, I, after COVID, being in the city kinda, it just gave me sort of this feeling like, I don't feel like this is my place anymore. And I've been here for 19 years and I just miss having space 
And I took for granted what it means to have your village around you. Like I wanted to get away from it because I felt like I couldn't fart in that town without somebody knowing about it. Um, farmers are like a knitting circle. <laughs> like everybody knows everything. My dad grew up there. So everyone knows our family, like, which I thought I wanted to get away from. And then you go through some really challenging times and you miss having those connections of people you call and get help, you know? So I've I can't asked, move back. I've I been asking people right recently, if, if you went to prison, who would come and visit? <laughs> and it's like, who's really there? You know, like if yeah. you hit the Powerball, all of a sudden mm -hmm. you'll have a host of friends. Mm -hmm. But if you're divorced, bankrupt, and in prison, who who shows up for you? Like yeah. who's a real friend that it's right. not just a transaction? One, well, I getting surprised like that, it really did make me tighten my circle. It made me realize, okay, I don't want... I'm not going to explore friendships or invitations for friendships, that kind of thing. If for, for new people, like it's going to be only the OGs <laughs> that, that I feel like I can talk to right now, because when you're going through something like that, you're not going to be a very positive person. Like I was, I no joke until like last week when I bought this house closing and then Two days later, I went through divorce mediation, which is an all-day, very stressful process. Closing on a house and then having those two things happen in the same week. It was like Friday or last weekend, I felt like I'm finally feeling a little bit of weight off my shoulders. Like just having my home base, knowing where we stand with the divorce, like that, and that's why I can't, I have to establish my home in Charlotte, whether I want to go home or not because my kids are in school here and they, they have roots here. So how old are your kids? They are four and six. Wow. That's a great age. <laughs> they, I, <laughs> it's interesting because my, my daughter who's six and my son is four. It's just interesting to say, see this, the difference in their personalities are really like blooming right now but they both need very different things. So parenting each of them, it's like I have to code switch every five minutes to do what the other one needs. And I think that kind of gets back to like what we were talking about earlier with the disc assessment and all that stuff. It's like I can recognize how different their personalities are because I study like adults in my, in my professional life, but they do have a disc assessment for kids. Hmm. What is your profession? What do you call it? I do leadership development, so creating leadership development programs for Circle K. Um, I don't know what leadership means in that context. Like, what, what does that mean? What's the practical? So, in what specifically I focus on is... Um, by the way, Circle K, like I was so excited when they reached out to me because I have a genuine fascination with convenience stores. <laughs> I find they're like- I spend a lot of time there. Yeah, you're traveling, they're like, they're little oases. Sometimes they're like, they're just, you know, 
owned by a mom and pop kind of situation and they get to curate what's in their store and you find some very unusual things in some of these little country stores. I love them. And there's a <laughs> wide, wide variety. They're yes. everything from an oasis to like a sketchy, uh -huh. you know, I'm gonna get shot in yes. a minute. Absolutely. <laughs> but you can, with a chain, establish a certain baseline. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. So what I have been focusing on is helping to develop the store managers. So there's something like 7,000 store managers for Circle K. And, you know, you come to this job, you, they have all walks of life, all backgrounds. And I think people all have leaders. They're all... Um, there's all there's a leader within everyone, but to teach them some formal leadership strategies and then watch their their teams get more engaged, watch their sales increase, like all of these little tactics that can help their lives be a little bit easier. Um, I just find it. I actually feel like I very much connect with them. Like I picture the people in my hometown when I picture the folks that I'm helping. And if you make just a little bit of connection with Mm -hmm. those people goes a long way like mm -hmm. if you just look at them mm -hmm. or speak or ask them you know how's your day or how long till quitting time or mm -hmm. you know and and people are starved for that human yeah. connection yeah they want to connect with their customers like i you know whenever i stop in circle k's i you know i'm i don't wear a uniform so they don't know who i am or what, that i'm an employee but I always stop and talk to them and like, hey, um, have you, just curious, you know, has your manager been going, or, or are you the manager? Like I introduced myself. And recently I started asking them, a couple people, you know, team members, how long have you worked here? Like, what's your favorite thing about the job? What's your least favorite thing about the job? And just sort of chit chat. And they go out of their way to learn their customers and they will like, get their things ready in the morning. Like I know that Bob always gets a Pepsi and a pack of cigarettes and I have them all ready here for, and it's like, yeah, that's usually their favorite thing. When I ask what's your favorite thing, they say the customers. Well, increasingly we are discovering you could live your life with virtually no human face-to-face -face interaction. No hugs, no slaps, no handshakes, no, no looking into someone's eyes, just everything done on a screen, not even having to speak to someone. And there's such a profound loss mm -hmm. in that, that we can't quantify what it is. Uh, not to speak to a waiter mm -hmm. or to have the person who, whatever, dry cleaning, mm -hmm. you know, the, the people that you see every day that you can have a human relationship. There's definitely times where I just want to get in and get out and not talk to somebody. There are times, but I would prefer to engage with people. I think it, you're talking about what I would imagine could lead to the loss of community, the sense of community. If you don't why would you live? I mean, there's certain places where people think this is the most friendly city, and that's an attribute. So, what would you say? What's the what's that scenario? This is the most humanless city, <laughs> contactless city, <laughs> I mean, isolated. Isolated, yeah. 
And that's associated with all types of declines in health. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't loneliness. heal as well. Yeah, that mm-hmm. loneliness and isolation. Yeah. And the notion that you could reinstitute just a little bit of connection with, uh, you know, something as sort of mundane as running in and out of the convenience store, mm-hmm. getting gasoline or milk mm-hmm. or you know, six pack of beer or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was. Recently at a Circle K, I mean, I always try to stop at Circle K's, and there's one in Virginia on off 81. I, I can't even remember the city. It's it's a pretty big convenience store, but I can't remember the, the exit number. But I always stop at that one. And the last time I stopped, I didn't have the kids with me, so I could kind of linger a little longer. Usually, unfortunately, I don't know if it's unfortunately or I'm happy about it. But now the kids want to go to the Circle K's every single time we see one, and they don't understand like. Oh, I don't have enough time to go in this time. Can we just like stay in the car and I'll put my gas and we'll leave? They are not happy about that. They want to go in and they want to wander around just like I do, but then I'm managing them. <laughs> so if if they're not with me, I can stop and chat a little bit more. And the last time I was there, I just said, "Hey, what's how, how's it going?" And there's as I noticed, you have a cat outside, and there was this cat that they had been feeding and it was now like their store cat. I'm sure they were not supposed to be doing that. <laughs> but then this other guy walked in and he's like, can I have that cat? <laughs> Cause my wife wants one. <laughs> he was just gonna pick up this cat and take it. And the, um, the, the clerk said, no, it has babies. And the other guy was like, okay, well maybe that wouldn't be fair to take. I was like, what? This? It was just this really sweet exchange. These two big burly guys talking about these cats and its kittens. It was just, I was like, I'm just, I just get to observe this cute little moment. A little you know? drama. Yeah, a little cat drama in Circle K. <laughs> I think back home, like the community that I was in, I was so immersed in it, I couldn't even see it. You know, I didn't, I took it for granted. And I didn't feel that again until um, Julie and I started Family Jewels. Like having the comedy community, that is such a, I hope, I wish that for everyone to find a sense of belonging, a sense of community, a sense of sharing and collaboration. And that has been a really powerful um I think gift. Mm-hmm. How did you meet Julie? How did I meet Julia? Julia, yeah. sorry. I, know. I get you too. I know. <laughs> How did you meet Julia? Um, Julia and I lived on the same street. And I had, she, <laughs> we talk about this and it'll, it'll always be funny to me because we just, like most things, we viewed it very, very differently. <laughs> um, she was, I don't know how else to say this. She was like actively trying to be my friend <laughs> and I was actively pushing her away. And I, I don't know why I just didn't feel like I was ready to be her friend. <laughs> Did you feel like she was like needy or something like? I know. I felt more like she was like a le- little ray of sunshine and I had just had a baby and I was just in a dark place and she hadn't had children yet. And she was so like, we should do this. We are, we both do comedy. We should do this together. We should do this together. And I was like, ah, uh, I, I don't ha- I don't know. I'm, I'm more of like, 
and I, I'm not, I wasn't so much of a team player then. I didn't feel like I knew exactly what I wanted to say. Anyway, it's hard to find your voice in comedy because you're putting yourself out there. So it's not, maybe you can write well, maybe your jokes are funny, but if you're not um, sure how you want to present them or you don't have the confidence to present them, I felt like I wasn't there yet. Like I couldn't figure out what I was doing. So it wasn't the best time for me to um, um, combine efforts, you know? People have called it one of the bravest art forms because there's nowhere to hide. You're not hiding behind a character. You're just out there with a microphone. I think it helped me remind myself who I am. Like I've heard the phrase, as you get older, you just become more of who you are. And I love that because it gave me license to own my personality. And I had been so hard on myself, and I still am. But one of the teachers who I had in my comedy class that I took said, you know, you don't apologize. Don't apologize for any jokes that you've made. Don't, you're, you're figuring it out. You're figuring out what to say. So if you're apologizing all the time or saying, I hope I didn't offend you, you're not owning your material. So my first time on stage, I said this little joke, which I felt was totally innocuous about how I have been <laughs> engaged four times, married, like now I'm on my, at the time I wasn't on my second divorce, but I am now. And my parents are celebrating 52 years together. like. And everyone starts clapping. And I say, oh, don't clap, they hate each other. <laughs> and then people start laughing. Well, my parents saw this, took it literally, and saw the YouTube video, they took it literally, and they said that I needed to publicly apologize to them. And I remember what my teacher said, and I said, no, I will not apologize to you. I got on stage, I wrote all this material, I love you, but you're wrong. Like, I'm the one up there doing it. It's not, everyone knows that you've been married for 52 years. Everyone knows that you're happy. You guys are the most in love couple yeah. I've ever seen. Like, it's a joke. Right. But I stopped apologizing. I said, get over it. And right. I had to say, get over it or, or something similar to that many, many more times <laughs> to it's, many people. <laughs> well, that, this is interesting because I'll say some things to my wife and she'll go, well, that's not true. And I'm like, of course it's not true. That's why it's funny. Exactly. Like it's the opposite yes. of what's true. Like saying they hate each other. Yes. Of course they don't hate each other. Of course hate they each hate other. each other. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not true. It's like, you know, people, like sometimes what people should be applauding for is the divorce. Right. I just got my divorce. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah, girl. We've been, about. <laughs> we've been waiting for that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I've got a little bit of that. Like, I, I wasn't, I wasn't happy. He wasn't happy, but I mean, I would not have done it the way that he did it. But um, in the end, I'm, I will forever be grateful that he <laughs> gutted my life. But it's, it's put me on the path I was supposed to be on, and I knew I wasn't on the right path. I just, I couldn't. I would never have done that. I would have, I would have stayed in a unhappy marriage. Yeah. 
I mean, I know, and I even don't, I don't think, I don't agree with the, oh, stay for the kids thing. I think it's not really ever going to get better. I think some people just have their moment and that results in children and then they, you should disband. <laughs> it's hard because you almost feel like you could separate the kids from the person that you had them with, <laughs> but oh. you can't. <laughs> well, you can and you can't. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And then there's, there's the genetics, there's assets and liabilities mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> among the genetics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, you know, when I listened to the episode with Julia, I, I just cried. I was on my way, I was driving to Virginia and I was so happy for her. I mean, of course I know Julia and Jeff. I know them pretty well. And I know their relationship mostly through Julia. <laughs> But I'm just so happy for them that they have that relationship. They have like a true friendship and they really do take care of each other. Now, do they talk shit about each other? I can't speak to Jeff, but yeah, that's the appropriate amount of shit talking that happens. <laughs> I think that there needs to be an appropriate amount. Like no one loves each other that much all the time. Like you, you get irritated. Like there has to be the reality of, a, of living with someone else. There's a little bit of that. But when I was listening, I was crying because she was like, I'm so grateful for my life. I have such a beautiful life at the time. I basically have had, like until I lived, until I bought this house a week ago, I've been living with friends for the last 16 months with my two kids. Like I felt like I've been like a vagabond. And so listening to her talk about her stability and love, I was like, this is so far from my life. Like, <laughs> like we're, we have just had such opposite experiences, but I feel like I have a shot at what she has. Not that I'm, I'm not, I'm happy for her, but I do desire to have that kind of partnership. And for the first time in my life, I feel like I have a chance at that because now that I have children, I, I, for the first time, really started to consider with much more care and concern who I bring into my life. What do you most admire about yourself? About myself? Mm -hmm. I have never even thought about that. I will try to put on the lens of my friends. They have been my cheerleaders through the last, you know, year and a half while I've been going through this and um, they all say <laughs> that I'm incredibly strong that I can bring levity to very dark situations like I, I <laughs> like what you see in this house half of it I bought yesterday like I had nothing nothing and I would still like crack a joke, like <laughs> get together with people, get on stage. Like I think that I have the ability to persevere and sometimes be positive to a fault. <laughs> like I won't, sometimes I won't take the lesson out of things. I'll just remember like the good times instead of the reality of things. <laughs> but that's a, that's an I for you. <laughs> what does I mean? I've forgotten. Uh, it is, I always forget too, because there's so many different, um, not that one. Like versions. Of yeah. An eye on uh, the disc interactive in this one. But it could be imaginative, influential, intuitive, or inspirational. 
Mm. But when you say strong, what I hear is resilient. I, um, when people call me strong, I, it almost bothers me because I don't think anyone should have to be as strong as I've had to be like to get through so many things like you, what's your option? You have to get through them. But also like when I mentioned my brother and I just started getting along a few weeks ago, that wasn't like, that wasn't a joke. Like we grew up fighting like cats and dogs and I don't know why we just had this like rivalry. You don't have to get through them. People lay down and die yeah, all the time. Yeah, they do. And people die in all kinds of ways. They mm -hmm. just sit around and drink or use or, mm -hmm. you know, watch Netflix all day long. And Yeah, that's true. They waste away. There are people who check out. Mm -hmm. you, don't, you don't strike me as checked out. No. There were times when I wanted to. And I, yeah, I don't. I stay incredibly busy and... Um, my, <laughs> my boyfriend just gave me the nickname speed bump because he's always like, you need to slow down, slow down. Don't do a million things. Just live it. I was like, I got into this house. Like I'm going to rip the kitchen out. I don't like that kitchen. They didn't do things. I'm like, let's rip the kitchen out. Let's do, let's go schedule it for two weeks from today. I'm going to rip the kitchen. out. He's like, Oh my God, can you just, you just got in here. And last Friday, so I had been here. I, I had purchased the house last Monday, so I'd been in here with the keys for about four days. And it had been a rough week. Nothing went as planned with the, with the uh, closing. I drug around a 12-foot U-Haul trailer connected to my SUV for 10 days because it was supposed to close and didn't close, supposed to close, didn't close. And so it was just a stressful time. So I'm walking my dog down the new street, like looking at my you know, new neighborhood. And I slipped and fell on a speed bump. <laughs> and he was like, this is, this, is, this is the world, this is the universe telling you to slow down. <laughs> and I got back up and just like hobbled back to my house. I was like, yeah, I need to take it easy. Like, I need to so take it easy. How did this boyfriend come about? Uh, well, remember I mentioned like keeping my circle small. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met him on, there's a, a biking community in Charlotte, many of them, and I met him on a bike ride about 10 years ago. And we just sort of re remained sort of knew of each other, hadn't really hung out much, um, but knew of each other. And I always thought he was like a really nice person, I always thought he was attractive, but I just, I don't know, just didn't, nothing ever came of it. Um, and, you know, I was like starting to think after all this, probably been about six months or so, you know, maybe I'd like to go out on a date or something. And I was, you know, chatting with a few people, but he asked me out, confirmed the time, made plans, told me where we were gonna meet, like confirmed the time again, like a couple days before the date. And he was just like, continued to impress me with how consistent and solid, and it made me feel so comforted in a time where I was like really, really needing that. And we have a friendship and I have never had that. As stupid as that sounds, every time I was friends with someone, 
if you're my friend, I'm never dating you ever. And then you hear people like, I'm married my best friend. I'm like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Guess what's not ridiculous? Marrying your best friend. <laughs> Took me a long time to figure that out. So yeah, I don't think I had any expectations. We went out and I just felt like, God, I feel really good around this person. It is really a lot easier to go from friendship to romance mm -hmm. slash sex than the other way around. Yeah. It's, that's, it's harder to do. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's a lot harder to do. I, I just never had a friendship, which is why I think I've never had a healthy relationship until now. Mm -hmm. It was all about like, also I think that there's a fair amount of pressure on, okay, find someone you like. Do you seem like you kind of match up? Yes. Okay. Now you're on this timeline. Immediately you're on this timeline of like married babies, whatever. Like it just, I think that puts a lot of pressure on people and I don't have that pressure anymore. What generation do you identify with? Um, I feel like I'm a, I think I'm the oldest Gen X. I'm 1981, but also you have to factor in the West Virginia. So I always feel like I'm 10 years behind. Well, that's the or you who's, could be, who's before or you could be the young, well, it is X. I'm not a millennial. You're... I'm like right before, I'm the very last one before millennials started. Yeah. Because now. <laughs> is it X? Is it X before well, millennials? Now my kids, I mean, the whole friendship, romance, um, yeah. uh, 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 transaction. Well, they don't really have transactional. Mm-hmm friendships they have actual friendships I like and this new generation of kids you know and I credit that to the schools I think they really started talking about kids feelings not to make the, not to make them like I don't know I feel like you know they they get a bad rap for like oh everyone gets a participation trophy mm -hmm. you're making the kids soft and this kind of thing but I think they talk about emotional intelligence and kids can identify their feelings like my four and six year old tell me how they feel about things I never remember doing anything like that. It was like, if you have feelings, shut up. Talk about them later. Go tell your stuffed animals. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I also think it's, it's okay to suck at something. Like, Absolutely. It's like, I suck at blank. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Go over and do that. You know, right. like, you know, or you can keep doing it and just realize I'm never going to be good at it, but I'm going to enjoy blah, blah, blah. You can be as best as you yeah. can. Yeah, you know? or you can just not do that. Or you can just not do it. Exactly. I I don't like painting. I don't like it. I don't like painting for fun. I don't like any kind of painting. Painting when you want to make a room look nice, definitely not going to do that. The times that I have actually tried really hard, like I'm going to pay, I'm going to pay attention this time. I'm going to like I'm going to do this really well. I'm going to tape everything. It still looks like shit. So, <laughs> why why would I spend any time doing any of that? And my boyfriend, Joe, he was like, I I'll paint your, the kids' rooms for you. He is really good at it, and it takes him, like, no time. Yeah. Why would I do that when he likes doing it? Like, why would I even do that? Why would I even try? There's people out there who genuinely like doing things that you're, you suck at. Outsource those things and go find the thing that you're good at. Yeah. I've also had friends that I, I'm glad that they've given me some forgiveness because I haven't always been a very good friend. I don't think I realized until I went through the things that I did that I wasn't a good friend at times to people. 
And so, you know, you get out there in the world and then I got into education and started educating myself, especially when you're talking about leadership. Like, what are the things that foster connection? Well, that's just not, that's not isolated to your job. It's your whole life will improve if you pay attention to what people need. So I got better at being a friend and some of the friends that I haven't talked to in a long time, they came back and we came, we, we, you know, talked about why did we you know, lose contact and um, yeah that's been that's been pretty cool too like because they knew I was going through a rough time so they reached out and it, I appreciated that they thought to do that where'd you go to undergrad <clears throat> Shepherd University in Shepherdstown West Virginia mm-hmm. who are your OGs oh gosh okay so I have um, a couple friends from well, probably my, my oldest friend, um, her name is Melissa, and she, her dad was a farmer. My dad was the seed salesman. So he comes over to Ronnie's house to sell Ronnie's seed or however it worked out. He's like, oh, you have a daughter you don't know what to do with. I have a daughter I don't know what to do with. Let's get them together. <laughs> so <laughs> whether we liked it or not, we were going to be friends. I remember my dad would just like drop me off at Melissa's house and I'll come get you sometime like three or four days later, maybe five days later. <laughs> so it was, she was like, she's like my little sister. Like she knows everything. So there's Melissa. I've got some friends from high school, a few friends from high school, like two or three. I have, they're all in these like little pockets. And then I have my college friends who I talk to, you know, every day almost. Um, I have some friends from every job I've worked at. I worked for CPCC for a while as a librarian. Um, Then I worked at Novant for a while. So I have my Novant friends that cross over into the library. So I I have a big circle, but we're close. And, you know, just... Are they close with each other? No, I'm the common thread. But when we get together, everybody just falls in. They it's, get along. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's great. It's really great. And then, like last night, my neighbor across the street, we sat on the front porch for hours last night. I was like, I can tell, instant friend. <laughs> like, it's um, I do. That's another lesson I learned from comedy. Like, be likable. Number one, if you come on stage and people just don't like your presence or you have some kind of attitude, you're, you're not going to get your message across. Well, that's easy to say. How can you be likable? Listen. You know, I think that goes to goes a long way. Like listening to what, like if you get to the show early and you walk around and talk to people first, you, you know, hey, how's it going? Anything special going on tonight? Just ask, asking questions. Um, my undergrad was in communications and journalism, so I got pretty good at interviewing people. So I just pull that, put that hat on and walk around and talk to people. And then when you get on, they don't know that you're the comedian when you're walking around. You could work for the restaurant or the brewery or wherever you're performing. And then when you get on stage, you're like, oh, I know her. Like, I just talked to her. Instantly, they like you more. <laughs> like, there's just little, little tricks even if you're not like naturally drawn to be like the chatterbox in the room. Are you outgoing? I, I think I am, um, but it exhausts me. Like I need a couple days to not, to, I guess, you know, and I get my, get my energy back up. 
What are the most encouraging and insightful things people have taught you about comedy? Um, well, that don't apologize was one. Don't apologize. Um, and this is more tactical, but listening to yourself, like recording yourself and listening back to it because one of the reasons I love comedy is that there's endless opportunities to tinker with your content. Like tweak this joke here, add this tag to it. Like it's never done. Like don't, oh, I guess this is a good one. Like don't ever discard something that you've written. Just take it and like polish the turd essentially. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's, if you have a thought, write it down because I guarantee you in the morning you will not remember that thing that was so good that you'll never forget it. Like, no, you have to get up and write it down. And the, the best ideas come to you when you're, you know, dead asleep. <laughs> I was on the way over here and I passed by the abortion clinic and they've got oh, the, yeah. two, the Love two, that. two protesters. And I was thinking, you know, when I had my vasectomy, nobody... <laughs> There weren't like people screaming, pictures of little sperm. You know? so nobody, nobody, nobody screamed at me. Nobody yelled. Nobody told me I couldn't have it, mm -hmm. or I had to go before a panel of doctors who explained to me what sperm. What were. you're doing, the consequences, the consequences of what you're doing. You, thinking, you can never. <laughs> you can never ejaculate the same again. <laughs> <laughs> nobody did that. Nobody, nobody did that. Yeah, yeah it's just not fair, is I it? Need to, I need to write that down. I do think that, I mean, I do have this joke that says, funny, I don't no normally hear about abortions and vasectomies in the same, uh, same sentence, but I have a joke about that because I think that, like, when you get, I, well, I've never had one, thankfully, I haven't had the need, but, like, how excited I was to take my husband to get a vasectomy. <laughs> I was so excited. I was like, great, I'm going to get this great magazine. I got a full cup of coffee. I'm like sitting here. I'm like, I'm just going to like kick back and get to read this and relax for a minute while he gets cut on. <laughs> and, and I didn't even finish my coffee. It was so fast. It was yeah. like 10, 10, 12 minutes. I didn't finish my coffee. I was like, uh, really? Uh, after four children, uh, I, I, was, I was getting cold feet. And my, I, I said, but this is going to hurt. And my wife said, try labor. Yeah. And I said, but, but this is embarrassing. And she said, try stirrups. Try a lifetime of stirrups. <laughs> so I got no. Oh, you'll get nothing from me either. <laughs> okay. And I was like, well, she has a point. Yeah, I don't, that all sounds way easier than anything I had to deal with. So exactly. somebody told me to like, like, yeah, what time do I need to be there? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, compared I mean, to. Yeah, that's one of the things I say like, oh, I had two nine pound babies, but no one gives a shit. I'll make sure that his one stitch doesn't get infected and he gets his ibuprofen. <laughs> Like, come on. Your frozen bag of peas. Exactly. <laughs> oh my God. I'm like, he's like, what if I like, have swelling? I'm like, you're going to have swelling because I'm going to kick you in the fucking balls. It's done. You're going to have swelling either way. Oh my God. It's but just, I was, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's so easy. It's yeah. so easy. In but I was there for all four childbirths and the last two, 
she had zero anesthesia. Not only oh. did she not have an epidural, she didn't have anything, no dilated, oh, no nothing. My God. And uh, our last child, our son, was 10 pounds. 10 pounds, zero anesthesia. And that was god awful. And the thing is, is that she doesn't remember it as being the, you know, the slasher film, the horror show that I remember. Oh, yeah. Uh, because, I mean, there's all kind of pain. There's back pain. There's just, I mean, racked with pain. The, um, my first, I was in this labor called prodromal labor, and mm -hmm. it lasted for like four or five days where I would go into labor at night, and in the morning it would stop. Going to labor at night, morning it would stop. This went on and on and on and on. And it was, some people don't have it. Most people don't have it. But I had this horrifying thing and it just went on. And we had a doula and she was coming over and giving me this, I don't know what she was giving me, these little tablets. I don't know what they were. <laughs> Who knows? I probably should have asked. Um, I was like, you're certified. I don't know. You're probably not giving me anything weird, but... Um, gummies gummies yeah <laughs> oh god so by the time I got the only reason I went to the hospital because my baby had shifted and now with every contraction she was sitting on a nerve and I was coming unglued when I would have a contraction it was like it, it became unbearable it was something all of a sudden felt like I was being like electrocuted it was so horrifying and when I got to the doctor of course, they want to like put you in this little triage room, see you know how far along you are, and I the only way that I could get some kind of relief was I was on all fours on the bed, and I, maybe like her like my belly like hanging down took some of the pressure off, but they were like we need to wheel you down to the labor room. Can you lay down? I was like I'm not moving. This is how I'm. You you get me here like this. So they wheeled me down. They put blankets over me because I didn't have any clothes on. <laughs> I was naked and on all fours on this table. And they just put blankets over me and they wheeled me down the hallway like that. And I gave no shits about that. There Now I realize that there's just like families and people walking up and down the hallway. Now I realize this. So people saw me like that because I refused to change positions <laughs> until I got my epidural. And I don't think they tell you why it's so awesome like yeah you feel less pain but that's not the reason why it's so awesome it's awesome because you get to sleep like i had been up for four days and they gave me that epidural and i got to sleep for like a good five hours while i had went through all those contractions in my sleep and woke up and i was like all right time to have a baby but i got a little rest first <laughs> um I've asked this of others, but um, when the baby comes out mm -hmm. and they wipe it off mm -hmm. and they suction out the mucus and then the child starts crying and then they lie the child on your chest, um, what was that like? I remember thinking like, gosh, this is weird. Like, this is so, like, I made this. Like, this is so crazy. Like, you you can't prepare yourself for how that feels. It's just the, it's a bizarre feeling. This wet little warm human is, like, 
I feel like she was just like an extension of my body. Like it was like she'd been there all along in a way, but <sighs> I guess it was just sort of an overwhelming feeling. You know, you feel like you're just excited to meet this little thing. <laughs> and you immediately feel, I, I think I immediately felt protective of it, of it, of her. <laughs> you know, you, you, the second they take her back, it feels wrong. You know, like she should be staying right here. Like just, just four or five feet away in the table while they're doing whatever they need to do. Just felt bad. <clears throat> And they take the little bassinet and leave it in your room. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it'll be there as long as you want it. Mm -hmm. And then if you want to sleep. We um, did not know about the nursery. At the time when we had our, our first, they did not want the babies to go to the nurse. They didn't encourage it. They didn't even tell us about it. So here we are. You know, I've been a zombie for the last week. And now I need to pick up this child and you know your body's in a crazy condition and <clears throat> i just remember <clears throat> both of us struggling to to stay awake and so the second child we're like take him to the nursery they're like you want to take him to the nursery how did you find about how to how did you know about the nursery what secret person whispered in your ear and told you about that there's a nursery you're not supposed to know about that and i was like take him to the nursery so they took him and we got some sleep. Like, we know now. You're not gonna. <laughs> it's part of the service. Uh huh. I paid for the nursery whether I use it or not. This time I'm using it. <laughs> yeah. Mm hmm. It's a kind of a. All of a sudden you feel, I felt a kinship with all of humanity. I was oh, like, yes. people have been doing this for millennia. Yes. And, uh, and now it's my turn, you know? And that's another thing about growing up on the farm. Like you see a lot of births, you see a lot of deaths, you see like the evolution of life. And so to be part of that was to tap into your most mammalian state, I believe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, what do you feel like you got from your mom that you're like, thanks mom. Like that's her, her sense of like that it's built into you. I think that my creativity, while it's very different from her brand of creativity, I think it, I must have gotten it from her. And my, um, my mom is very funny. She doesn't mean to be funny, but she's very funny. She has like a goofiness that you don't, <clears throat> excuse me, that you don't really expect from her because she's, pretty like prim and proper, but then she says things that are very funny and her family's really funny. Like what kind of thing would she say? <laughs> Tell me a little story. Okay. So this goes along with her prim and properness. It's just, she likes to have like dinner parties and get out all the fancy stuff. And she likes, I feel like she likes to like impress people. So, and the people that she is friends with, they are very fancy people. <laughs> so it's funny because She'll have these parties and stuff. And I just, I called her one morning. I said, Hey, how, how did it go? Like, how was the party? Oh, it was good. It was good. Julie, I have to go. There's nothing to eat in this house, but caviar. <laughs> I mean, seriously, mom, I don't know if it's true. It probably is true, but 
And then sometimes I'll call her and she's like, Julie, I cannot talk right now. I'm in the middle of a mammogram. I'm like, why are you answering the phone? <laughs> she's just funny like that. Like it's all like matter of fact stuff, but it's funny. I don't know what <laughs> she's, she could be very, very tough as an art teacher. You know, it's not your average classroom because she always described it. She's like, these kids are armed. They have paintbrushes, they have clay, they have exacto knives. <laughs> And, you know, I think she always had to, like, amp herself up to, like, deal with middle school kids. <laughs> um, and I think that'll also give you a sense of humor, being around kids all the time. She's very stylish. Um, I wouldn't call myself stylish today, but I do think I get... I used to, like, really like to get unusual clothes and things, and I get that from her. My dad, on the other hand, um, he's also funny. Like, he's the person you want to sit next to at a party and be like... Psst, <laughs> Doing a running commentary. Yeah, yeah, he's super fun. He's a, eviscerating he's a, uh -huh, people. Uh -huh. Or just like little background tidbits that could be useful, you know. Um, he he taught me to really love being outdoors and appreciate being able to provide for yourself. Like for years, I had huge gardens. I would can all that stuff and really got into creating a sense of taking care of yourself and living, having skills to do that. Um, Live off the land. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what I'm hoping I can do here is recreate that. Um, there's been <laughs> both of my marriages I lost the house in and it's not so much like a house it's like digging in somewhere literally digging in like getting comfortable somewhere and ha losing that sense of security and i think once you get to a point where you can have a garden somewhere you are calling it home because it takes a lot of hope and thinking about the future to have a garden somewhere what is a healthy way of grieving the marriage it was easier for me when I was at the farm. So I found out that we were getting divorced when I was six hours away at the farm. And so I knew that the life as I knew it when I walked out the door with one bag of clothes to spend, like I call them like, you know, my, my farm clothes. I didn't have any, it was just whatever, the clothes that you just grab. Um, I knew that there was this gutted feeling like the time the last time I left that house will be the last time I'll ever go back in and the good thing about it was that I was up there and so having my family around me having space I had my dog with me so the only I think healthy thing that I did <laughs> to grieve was I took a lot a lot of walks with her and she doesn't leave my side I mean she will she'll go chase a deer but she'll come right back so having a sense of just being alone but not alone because you have your dog and walking around this beautiful piece of property that that helped me a lot and there's a creek so you can just put your feet in the creek and kind of breathe but it's not, I don't know, there's, it's definitely, it'll, it took me 
a long time to get over my first marriage and there were no children involved and it wasn't a harsh divorce at all. Like we just didn't, we weren't, we weren't going in the same direction. And so we, I wouldn't say amicably split, but it wasn't contentious at all. Do you all still speak at all? No, but, but the thing is if I needed to, I could. Like I've still talked to my ex, I guess she's my ex-mother-in-law, but I consider her a friend. Um, my former brother-in-law, if I called him, he would, he has helped me. I needed some help with something. He came over 20 minutes later. Like they're really good people. And so that, and I learned a lot from that marriage because I really, really, really loved his mom. <laughs> and she, she was, she's someone I still call on mentally when we do talk, but I think about her when I'm having a rough time with the kids and I think about how, how she would have handled that or she had a really creative parenting <laughs> tactics. <laughs> and then I think about my grandmother too, but there's all these like, there's women who have, who I keep in my mind and she's one of them. Is your grandmother still with us? No, mm -mm. she died when I was 24. You were close with her? I was really close with her. Mm -hmm. She was a tough Kentucky woman. And she was also very funny. Like, just tough. Like, someone broke into her house and was stealing one of her guns, okay? And she walked up to him and said, is that your gun? And he said, no. She was, what did he say? Oh, he said yes. And she said, well, then get out of here with it. Like, she walked up to a man with a gun in his hand and just said, get out of here. Like, who would walk up to, she just wasn't afraid of anyone. She also kept a pistol in her purse, but my dad took the firing pin out, so she couldn't hurt anyone. <laughs> but she carried that pistol with her until, I mean, until I think she had to go into like assisted living. I took her to the dentist once. I was I would drive her to her appointments and we're sitting in the waiting room and she looks at me and says, well, do you have my gun? I can't find my gun. And I'm like, grandma. <laughs> You need it in the waiting room? We need it right now? We need it right now. I think I left it in the Buick, actually. <laughs> but, you know, just, she, she also taught, she taught me how to garden. So, good life lessons. If we got struck by lightning today and the only thing that survived is this little piece of audio, what is your legacy? Oh, so many things. Um, I, if I could leave something to my kids, I, I hope, I hope I can leave for them or, or impress upon them the importance of keeping it simple. Enjoy the simple things, create your own experiences. Don't fall for the canned fun. You know, go out and use your imagination. Get bored. You know, enjoy being outside. Enjoy what you can create. Because every time I stand on stage, lately it's been, you know, Julie and I, I am floored that anything I'm saying just comes out of my brain and entertains people. Like that is a powerful thing to, to figure out what you can create. I hope they appreciate that. <laughs> when you said so many things what other things were you thinking about being a good friend I think being a good friend is um, 
it shows who you are. It shows what you care about, your morals and your values. And I used to just like slough off those things, but now I feel like those are the, one of the most important, precious things that you can you can experience is really, really good friends. Um, what is an example of something that one of your friends did for you that a real friend will do? Like when they heard you were getting divorced, they blank. Well, it's hard for me to not cry when I think about this, but so many friends did so many things for me. My, um, <clears throat> while I was up in Virginia, I was, I, I felt like my friends formed this like protective circle around me. They became very, um, available. They would come over when I hadn't asked them to come over. They did things for me that I couldn't do for myself. After um, this happened, which was June 20th, my daughter's birthday is June 28th. And she was supposed to have a party in Charlotte. I didn't see how that could possibly happen. So um, I asked their, I, well, at the time I told their dad, like, I'm not coming back right now with the kids. So canceled the party. I'm not, I don't know what to do, but I'm not coming back right now. And my friends threw my daughter a party and she had a fifth birthday party with decorations and a potion station that my friend runs. She's a Montessori like kid genius. And they got, my, my dad got, he, everybody showed up with stuff. They brought their kids, they brought presents, they brought food, they brought all of the things. They, my, my friend Melissa who I told you about, she took the most beautiful pictures of my daughter and I, and it was, you would never have known that something awful just happened because everybody knew like, keep your tears to a minimum. This kid needs to have a fifth birthday party. And <clears throat> I have never felt like so much <clears throat> like, just keep your head in the game. Like we're going to do this. She deserves this. And it was, it was absolutely perfect. In fact, that morning when I went to deck, like get the little space ready in my parents' garden, there was a fawn laying right in the middle of it. And I just felt like the universe is doing some wild things right now. Like I am on the right path. Like just little signs like that made me think, I don't know, like this, this brought her so much joy to seeing this little fawn and like bizarre, right where the party is supposed to happen. And then all my friends show up and they just take, they created like a protective cocoon around me and they still call all the time. They're six, seven hours away. We FaceTime, you know, they're excited. They're, they're more excited about me having my own place than myself. And then I have to mention, I have had two friends who took me into their home, my, me and my children. And it's a very, very hard thing to open up your home but they saw someone who needed help and they helped me and I'll forever be grateful because it gave me a chance to get on my feet. And those are good people. 
you know, I try to be a good roommate. <laughs> you seem very blessed. I, I, I do feel I'm getting there. I, do, I, I feel like I'm starting to be like, okay, I think things are going to be all right, you know, because it didn't feel that way for a long time. Congratulations. Mm, thank you very much. I can't wait to see how the family jewels and <laughs> all of it works out. Yeah, our podcast was just released. So it's on Fun. Spotify. Yeah, Family Jewels Comedy on Spotify. Go check it out. Excellent. It's all material. <laughs> yes, it's all material. It kind of explains how we get, got where we are. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for making time for me. I'm, thank you. I'm very grateful. Thank you. This has been lovely. You can find Julie J and her partner Julia at the Family Jewels podcast on Spotify and wherever great podcasts are found. And thanks, thanks for making time. Great conversation sitting there in her recently furbished new home <laughs> on the east side of Charlotte. Uh, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Thanks, Julie. In Her Words is a production of the Queen City Podcast Network in cooperation with Balto Creative Media. Allison Andrews at Andrews Creative, Rachel Clapp Miller and Roshonda Pratt are developmental producers. Sally Higgins at Higgins and Owens tries to keep us legal. Our music is A Day at the Park by the group Pictures of the Floating World. Your announcer is Catherine Smith. That's me. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and take a moment to rate and review. It really helps others find us. If you love us, go to our Patreon page at patreon.com. Look for Man Listening. One word, no spaces. A small investment makes a big difference in lifting up the voices of women. A huge shout out and thank you to everyone who has supported me, manlistening.com, In Her Words, the podcast, and now Voice Lock It. Talked to a new customer just yesterday. VoiceLockIt.com. Check it out. Thanks. Thank you for your support. We believe one voice can change the conversation. Thanks so much.